What's up, faders? Welcome to yet another action-packed episode of Got Fitted Japan. I am your host, Johnny. And as you fine folks know, Got Fitted Japan is about two dudes, booze, Japan, and the news. And actually, today we have something very special on episode number 497. In this episode, we have the one and the only Kyle Eastwood, who is a world-famous, world-traveling Jazz musician, composer, score writer, voice actor, actor, he does it all. And he comes from an amazing family. His brothers, sisters, his parents are all very talented, especially his father, Clint Eastwood. And without further ado, I would like to welcome Kyle to the show. Kyle Eastwood. First, I must say thank you very much for performing at Blue Note Tokyo. We are all very much looking forward to seeing you perform. Oh, my pleasure. It's always great to come back. You know, it's one of my uh, it's one of my all time favorite clubs to play at. It's um, it's always a real pleasure. You know, that's a, it's a great sounding room and uh, it's a great staff there. And we always have really good audiences. And uh, it's always I mean, playing in Japan in general is always a pleasure. But uh, the Blue Note's really something special there. Awesome. So this isn't your first time performing in Japan. No, I've been, um, let's see, I don't know, but since probably about almost 10 years now, I've been coming there almost once a year, usually. So I come and play. I've played the Blue Note many, many times, and um, I've played around uh, other places, other other cities around Japan a bit, and at the Ginza Jazz Festival and the Tokyo Jazz Festival, um, a bunch of places. Oh, that's awesome. When you're coming to Japan this time, you're also going to other parts of Asia. You're going to perform at other Blue Notes there as well? Yeah, we're going back to the, the, the Blue Note in Beijing uh, for a couple nights. And then uh, they just opened one a Blue Note in Shanghai uh, just recently, actually. So I think um, we're going to be there for a couple nights. So, yeah, we're in China first for, for, for some concerts. And then we come back to come to Tokyo. Oh, that's fantastic. Shanghai is an amazing city. They got killer restaurants there. You're going to love it. Yeah, no, I, 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 was, I played at the jazz festival there a couple times. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a fun town. It's a good new place. Oh, that's cool. Um, you know, when it comes to other styles of music like rock, punk, and so on, the scene is different everywhere you go, especially when you leave the United States. Is it the same with jazz? Um, yeah, I'm sure it is. I mean, it is a bit. You know, I've uh, I live actually in Paris a good deal of the year. So I'm I'm because I, I play in Europe at least half the year or sometimes more. So um, so my sort of home base is is Paris, and uh, so I'm I'm there about half the year, and then I'm in the states the other other half the year or, tra- or traveling. So um, but there's a lot of great musicians in both places. I mean, I think the I think in Europe 
you know, jazz is really appreciated, um, maybe almost even more than in the United States. But um, and there's some of the great, some of the all some of the best jazz festivals are in Europe and in, and in France, especially. And uh, and Japan's also a great, 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 great country for uh, for jazz. I think it's really well appreciated, and, um, and you know, and some there's some great festivals, and of course the Blue Note, you know, in Tokyo is is, is a great, great club. How is it playing there? Like so many legends have performed at uh, the Blue Note in Tokyo. Like when you get on stage, is it? Do you get like this incredible feeling? Like, oh my god, <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of history. You know, there's a lot of history. A lot of a lot of amazing musicians and legendary people have played there. So it's uh, yeah, it's always fun. You know, it's always a thrill to play in a place like that. And uh, especially when you know that you have a staff that's so so great there, and the, the room is a great sounding room. And you know, the 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 sound guys there are always like top notch. And it's it's um it's it's always a pleasure. You know, it's always it's always one of my favorite times of the year to come back and come back and come to Japan. Yeah, and the food's good too, right? <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> I love I love the food. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, no, I always have. Uh, I always um, I always enjoy going back to eat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm a big sushi lover and and ramen and udon and all that stuff. Yeah, it's great. Oh man. So with sushi, when you eat sushi, you lose weight, but when you eat ramen, you gain weight. So you kind of balance out at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably a little. Yeah, I'd say that's fair. It's fair to say. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, that's. Uh, I love this. I have a few favorite places that I like to go there. So it's yeah. Always, I'm looking forward to it. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, jazz has a universe of music with so many different kinds and styles. How did you get into jazz and playing bass? Well, I grew up in a house with a lot of music. You know, my my parents are big fans of jazz and 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 of music in general, but but particularly jazz. And um, so they were always listening to jazz records and uh, and um, like R and B music, you know, and uh, you know stuff like Ray Charles and uh, you know occasionally the odd Johnny Cash record, but um, but but mostly a lot of jazz and like big band stuff. So so that's kind of the music I grew up hearing, and um, and my parents. Uh, started taking me to concerts when I was pretty young as well. So uh, I grew up, you know, in Carmel, just right next to Monterey, and uh, the Monterey Jazz Festival's been going on since about 19, since 1958. And uh, um, it's so they started taking me when I was, I think, in 1977. I think it was about nine or ten years old. So um, so I got to see a lot of the great great musicians play there, and kind of made me fall in love with with the music and and kind of actually hearing 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 it live really made me want to learn how to play an instrument. So um, I think that's how I got in, involved in it. That's cool. Well, why did you choose the bass? Well, I started on piano when I was when I was young, and um, my 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 father taught me a little piano, and I took piano lessons for for a few years, and um, I kind of and I learned a little bit of guitar for a film that I did with my father when I was when I was about 12 or so at 12 or 13 and, um, called honky tonk man. Mm-hmm. And there was a couple scenes where I kind of had to play like, or like look like I was playing guitar. So I learned some chords and kind of fiddled around with the guitar for a couple of years. And then, uh, I picked up the bass, I guess when I was about 14 or 15. And, um, I don't know. I just kind of, it kind of came naturally to me. And so, um, from what I knew of music, theory and stuff on the piano i just kind of started teaching myself and and um i just kind of stuck with the bass you know now, i had a lot of friends who were musicians and they were always looking <laughs> looking for a bass player because they, they were always they were all guitar players or drummers or 
you know, I had a good friend who was a trumpet player and stuff like that. So, uh, they, but they were always looking for a bass player. So I always had, always had a slot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh man, that's awesome. No, the bass is an incredible instrument. I, I have a lot of respect for it. Um, so which one did you start off playing? You well, you played both standing bass and bass guitar. Did you start off playing bass guitar? I started playing yeah, a bass guitar and uh, I'm just in teaching myself and. And uh, did that for a couple of years, and then I started studying with, um, taking lessons with a few different people, and and getting. When I started getting really serious about about playing, you know, a few years later when I was about seventeen or so or eighteen, and um, I started studying with a few people, and then I, I kind of switched to to the upright bass, you know, stand up bass, acoustic bass, and um, I started. I kind of spent just a few years really digging into to that, and uh, then I kind of went back to to kind of dividing my time playing playing both. How was the transition? Like, I don't play bass or any instruments, but um, so, but I assume playing the bass guitar and the stand-up bass are similar. Is it almost identical, or is it very different? Um, I mean, they're definitely related, but uh, they're quite different. I mean, the, the the stand-up bass is a lot more physical, you know, and it's um, it's a lot more difficult to play. You know, there's there's no, it's it's like a violin or a cello. You know, it has, doesn't have any frets on it, and uh, and um so it's and it's a little more physical instrument but um but i mean they're related they're definitely uh you know close cousins i would say <laughs> oh that's cool <laughs> yeah well i gotta say the stand-up bass looks way more cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah and no, it's uh it's it's a fun one i mean it's it's i have a special place in my heart for that and so you know it's it's kind of a little more personal instrument to me but um, but i love I, I love playing electric bass though too you know definitely uh, I enjoy doing both oh that's great um both your parents are very talented were they very supportive when you gave them your decision saying that you wanted to play music professionally I mean my parents probably would have killed me <laughs> um well they both are really into music you know so um yeah I mean my dad was he was supportive I mean you know I think he would I think he would have been supportive of whatever I decided to do as long as I was you know doing it seriously and really and really throwing myself into it and 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 doing it wholeheartedly so i think um but um yeah i'd gone to i'd gone to usc for a year or so and um as a film major because i was thinking to try and be a director but that was right around the same time that i i had gotten really serious about practicing and started playing with a you know playing in a couple group bands and stuff and uh so I, I I started thinking maybe music was what I wanted to do professionally instead. So I took a year to just you know throw myself into music, and I've been doing that ever since, since ni- about 1987. So that's awesome. And your first CD or your first album was released in 1998. What was that? From there to here. From there to here, yeah. That's awesome. Was it difficult since, I mean, if you started off professionally playing for one year, starting your first album a year after that, was that tough? Was that like a really big challenge? I could imagine it being incredibly difficult. Um, well, I actually, that didn't come till a few years later. I mean, I started playing, I started playing in groups and stuff in, in around LA in, in 1980, 86, 87. And, um, my, that, I didn't make that album until almost 10 years almost 10 years or eight eight or nine years later so um i played around a lot you know with different singers and 
And uh, I played in a few kind of pop bands and a couple. Of, I just did a lot of different stuff around Los Angeles. You know, I played mm-hmm. in a couple of different jazz groups and I started a jazz quartet of my own. And and um, yeah, played with a lot of singers, played all the clubs on, on Sunset Boulevard, you know, the Roxy and the, the Whiskey A Go Go. Oh, wow. The, the Troubadour, awesome. the Troubadour and all those places. And then um, and I started doing sessions a bit when I got sort of proficient at reading music and and um and playing you know with the bow on playing upright playing acoustic bass you know i i I started playing in orchestras a little bit and doing some film music orchestral stuff so um i just kind of immersed myself in all kinds of music oh that's the way to do it yeah yeah no it was uh um it definitely got a lot of musical education doing all that oh that's great oh man um now you have nine albums out and your style of jazz has been very dynamic in each album from 1960s style jazz to groovy jazz to easy listening to very dynamic and basically you're a master of all trades in an awesome way what is your process when you approach a new album um well that's a good question you know i've I've been kind of developing the band um that i have right now my my sort of regular band It's, it's been a band that i've been been sort of developing and working with for a while so um uh the last couple records we did before this newest one were were mostly original material and and things that i'd compose myself or to compose with the band and um yeah i mean they definitely have there's definitely the influence of of sort of you know 19 late 50s early 60s jazz because that's kind of one of my favorite eras of jazz and some of my favorite records are from that time so there's definitely a big influence of that you know like People like Art Blakey and, and Charles Mingus and uh, and you know Herbie Hancock and Wayne Shorter stuff like that. So, um, um, but this new album was was something I've always wanted to do. Is all it's, this is all it's all film music and and songs or or film scores that have been adapted for the group. So um, it was something I've been thinking about doing for a while, but uh, just finally got around to doing it now. <laughs> No, that, your new album's incredible. I, I love it. Um, my favorite track is actually Bullet. And I have a question about the this track Bullet. Um, was that inspired by the movie Bullet? Because the movie Bullet was heavily influenced. Well, I don't know if that's the right word. But uh, the movie Bullet has a lot of great jazz all throughout the whole movie. And so when I heard the song Bullet, I was like, whoa, what is this? Bullet. Oh, it's kind of like the movie. Is Is, is there any relation between the two? It is well. It's the it's it was written by Lalo Schifrin. It's the it's the main theme from the from the from the original film um, oh, with with, with Steve McQueen. So yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's uh, it's composed by Lalo Schifrin, who um, was a, is a big big film composer, and especially in the nineteen and sixties and all throughout the seventies. You know, he did a lot of he did a lot of stuff. He did a bunch of he did the Dirty Harry first, like two or three Dirty Harry films for my father and. Um, um, what else is he? I mean, he did Mission Impossible, and um, uh, I don't know a lot of a lot of TV and a lot of film stuff in the '60s and '70s. So, um, so yeah, it's essentially it's a it's our version, our remake of the of the main theme from the film Bullet. That is awesome. Yeah. Oh my God, that that song is just so inspirational. Yeah, I'm a painter actually, and I was painting last night, and I was working. And when I heard that song, I was just like, I stopped, and I was like, Oh my God, what is this? And then I think that song actually influenced the painting. It's pretty crazy. It's an amazing song. Oh, good. Well, it's good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And um, oh, when it comes to sales. 
Um, I did a small stint working at Amoeba Music in San Francisco. And uh, back then I was actually a DJ and um, we sold drum and bass and techno and hip hop records and stuff. And record sales back then were really high. Now, not so much. But jazz records back then were always selling well. They were always really, really well. Old records, new records, they always sold. And um, I think today a lot of like jazz lovers still buy records. So my question is, do are, are the sales of records right now still higher than CDs or is it vice versa or are they both leveled off? Um, well, when you say records, you mean vinyl, you mean yeah. right? like back vinyl records. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, this vinyl's made a big, seems to be making a big comeback and, um, and especially amongst jazz lovers, I think, you know, they've, there's, uh, I mean, I still have my turntable and all my records and, um, and, um, I still buy albums now and then. So, um, yeah, and I seem to, we seem to sell a lot actually when we're, when we tour around and do concerts, we, a lot of people buy them, you know, vinyls. Cause I did my, my last couple of albums, they did vinyl versions of them. So, um, yeah, I think, I think, I think record sales have been good, especially for 2019. I heard that the, they were actually set to outsell CDs for the first time in mm-hmm. since like 198 since the 80s, you know, since 86, I think, or something like that. So, um, um, yeah, I mean, it's still the music business is still not in the greatest of shape as far as record sales or, or CD sales or or any kind of sale, you know, sales with with the, with the advent of all the streaming and stuff and, and nowadays and. Uh, and the internet, but um, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's there seems to be a pretty good audience and pretty good market for 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 albums and vinyl and stuff like that, especially for jazz. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, I, in Tokyo, as you know, a lot of jazz bars still play records. So when you go in to get a drink at a jazz bar, you're only hearing vinyl, which is really cool. You know, I know I've been to a few. Yeah, <laughs> or you got a bartender <laughs> DJ. Yeah, no, that's, that's that's really cool. There's some actually really great. I mean, I have, I have a lot of musician friends who love to go to Japan just to go to the record stores to pick up vinyl and bring them back. So, oh, that's so, awesome. Uh, yeah, it's fun. I, I always enjoy going to the record stores, and uh, it's nice. And I've been. I mean, I, I guess well, Tokyo is probably the only place that still has a still has a Tower Records. I think all the rest of them have all closed over the all over the world. But um, but yeah, it's it's a great uh, it's a great place for 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 buying albums yeah that's true Mitsuya Liquors yo what's up faders if you're in Asia if you're in Japan if you're in Tokyo if you're in Asagaya you better get down to Mitsuya Liquors that's right for the most affordable prices in Japan you can get over 300 different kinds of beer that's right over 300 different kinds of beer and of course they got all the shochu you need all the sake you need and of course they got wine from California to Italy, to France, to New Zealand. They got it all. When I say they got it all, they really, seriously got it all. There's no joke about that. So get down to Mitsuya Liquors. And if you go in there and you say, got fit of Japan, you will be more than welcome to go into their back room and drink those beers that you just purchased. That's right, got fit of Japan at Mitsuya Liquors. And three times a week, they have a sushi chef there. So get your sushi on, get your drink on, get your fade on, and come on down to Mitsuya Liquors, located comfortably in Asagaya, about five-minute walk from the station. Mitsuya Liquors. 
Yo, what's up, faders? Got Faded Japan has got a new sponsor. Our new sponsor is Gamuso Bar, located in Asagaya, Tokyo. If you're kicking it in Tokyo and you want to get your groove on, get your fade on, you better get your ass down to Gamuso. Gamuso is located in Asagaya. It's about 11 minutes from Shinjuku Station on the Chuo Line. Gamuso has weekly bands, weekly performances. And hell, if you got your own event and you want to hold it at Gamuso, we'd love to host you. So contact Gamuso at www.gamuso.com That's www.gamuso.com That's right, Gamuso has not only beers in the bottle, but beers on tap. We've got every drink you want, so come on down to Gamuso. Gamuso, and if I'm working, tip me. Hey, yo, what's up, baiters? Johnny here. You know I love booze and news, but I also love art. So come on down to thespiltink.com and check my art out. I've got tons of stuff there for you to check out. I've got paintings, I've got prints, I've got videos. And I tell you what, if you like a painting, I could probably sell it to you. And I tell you what, if I can't sell you that painting, I will definitely sell you a print. I've got prints of all my work. Prints are about 2,000 N each, about 20 bucks. But if you buy two, you get the third one for free. So come on down to thespiltink.com. Yo, and on top of that, I'm looking for commissioned work. So if there's something that you want me to do, I can make it for you. Just check out my stuff and see if you like my style. And if you like my style, I can definitely paint you anything on canvas, paper, whatever. I've done it all. So come on down to thespiltink.com. That is T-H-E-S-P-I-L-T-I-N-K.com. Thespiltink.com. Proper. In addition to your solo albums, you've also contributed music to 10 films. Uh, the Rookie, Mystic River, Million Dollar Baby, Flags of Our Fathers, Letters from Iwo Jima, uh, Grand Torino, Victims, Jay Egger, and my favorite, Homeless. Um, can you tell us a little bit how you got into writing scores to films? Um, well, I started doing some stuff for my dad, uh, you know, now and then he was, he's, he started asking me to, to write little bits and pieces, you know, for some of his films. Uh, I think the, the one you mentioned, the rookie was one of the first ones I did, I think. And, um, and yeah, I mean, that was, I just started, I had played on some of the scores of, of, of his films in the orchestra and, um, and Lenny Niehaus was the, was the, was the composer and an orchestrator and conductor on those. So, um, I kind of just hung out with him a bunch and, and watched how it was done. And then, and then, and then working and playing in the orchestra has just got to see how the, how it got, how it's done, you know, really. And, um, and, uh, started working and writing little bits and pieces for his films and, slowly worked my way up to to writing the whole score really so um um finally i think you know he asked me just to do the whole the whole score on one of his i think i can't remember which was the first one but um but uh yeah it was kind of just a gradual process really over the years so your dad was basically cutting corners he's <laughs> <laughs> like why would i pay this john williams guy when i got a kid well, that plays bass <laughs> but um yeah but no maybe i might have given him a family discount a bit, but, no. but um no but um yeah no, it was fun i mean we got, but there was a lot of times where he would actually write you know he's written stuff for some of his films so he'll, he'll sit down at the piano and write write like a melody or write kind of like a little motif that he wants to use in the film and then we end up 
you know, he brings it to me and I usually record it and then kind of work on it and, you know, flesh it out a little bit sometimes. And then, and we kind of incorporate it into the, into the score or into the, into the film. So the film comes first and then the music follows. Yeah, generally the music is done was one of the last things that's done in the film. You know, the music and music and sound effects and stuff like that, and special effects and you know, and visual effects are, are kind of that's the last thing to go into the movie. So it's um, yeah, it's usually after the film's edited together, you kind of sit down and watch it and pick the pick the you know two or three four moments that really are important with you know that really need music and kind of start from there and, and gradually work your way through. Oh, that's awesome. That's the process. That's great. Yeah, I truly believe that music makes the movie. I mean, could you imagine watching Jaws or Indiana Jones or even Star Wars with like a different kind of music? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, yeah, I think sometimes people don't maybe realize how important the music is. But uh, if you took the music out or changed it, you definitely would probably not really quite notice it really well. So, um, but yeah, it's uh, music's definitely an important part of the part of the film. You know, it's uh it's, I mean, doing film music, it's, it's, it's an interesting process. It's, I mean, you're, you're writing some music that already has to support something that's on the screen. So mm-hmm. it's a lot different than writing and doing your own album and doing, especially doing jazz, which is kind of all about freedom and however you feel like writing and, 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 and there's a lot of improvisation and stuff like that. So, yeah. Um, but film music is a kind of a different kind of challenge, but, uh, but I enjoy it. It's fun. That's awesome. How would somebody get involved in writing the score for a, a film? Like, what would be the process? Let's say you got like a, some kind of a musician that's, in, I don't know, maybe in rock or classical or something, and they want to transition into writing uh, scores for movies. How would they do that? What would you recommend? Um, well, I mean, most of them live in Los Angeles, I would say, you know, or Los Angeles or New York, but I think LA most of them. Is so the first thing is move. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, not all of them, but I mean, there's a lot of them in, in LA and that's generally where a lot of it's, it's done. You know, I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the films are scored there, you know, I would say either, yeah, probably London or New York, you know, a lot of times where the, where the films or the film music is recorded. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'd say I'd go out there and put you put it put together a demo of stuff, you know, do some demo some stuff to 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 maybe to picture and uh, and or see if you can get it. Maybe there are film scoring agents and stuff like that. So um, you know, that's probably the best place to start, I think. But there's a lot of musicians, a lot of rock musicians and pop musicians who crossed over and become quite good film composers. You know, there's Danny Elfman and. And um, I know some of the guys from Radiohead have done stuff, and um, there's a lot of them. There's, it's, 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 uh, there's a lot of great film composers out there. That's, that's great. How did you get involved in the movie Homeless? I mean, I, I absolutely love that movie, and I really do think that the music made that movie even greater. So how did how did you get involved? Did they contact you, or you contact them, or? Um, well, I'd done the director for a while, and I'd done. Um, actually a couple of things with her before. And, um, and so, yeah, she'd asked me if I would be interested to, to do some music. She actually wanted to use, she liked some of my music from some of my albums and, and, and wanted something along those lines or kind of, you know, sort of some sort of jazz influenced music. So, um, yeah, I just, uh, I got involved with that. I'd, I'd done another, um, um, Susan Morgan. I'd done another thing for her, um, I'm trying to remember what was um uh what's the name of it <laughs> i 
I'll think of it in a second. Um, I've done a couple actually documentaries. One was, um, um, and I can't remember the name of it. Anyway, well, there's, there's, I've done two or three documentaries for her actually. So she's a, she's a documentary filmmaker. So, so she's uh, she's kind of a fan of my music. So she's asked me to be part of a few of her projects. Oh, that's great. Were you able to meet Mark Rie, the the main character from Homeless? Um, we actually just we've never actually met in person. I've spoke with him on the phone a few times, and um, we've uh, emailed each other back and forth. And uh, but I've never we've never actually met in person. But um, but uh, but uh, yeah, we, he was he was hoping to come catch me. I was playing in New York next time. I think. Oh, that's awesome. No, no, he's an incredible photographer. His, his body of work is actually really amazing. I, it's shocking to know that he was like homeless for what, five years? <laughs> Living on top yeah, of the Yeah, it's, kind of, it's an York. interesting story, definitely. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize his situation until, uh, until, until Susan had come and gotten in touch with me with about, about the project. But um, yeah, it was, it was, it's an interesting story, definitely. Yeah, oh, totally. Oh, man. If you could write the score. To any movie from the '80s or '90s, like rewrite the score. What movie would you do? Oh wow, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> rewrite the score. I don't know. Um, it, it could be anything. It could be from Howard the Duck to Commando or Cobra or whatever. Um, I don't know. You know, I've always wanted. I think it would be fun to like do the music for like. For like a horror movie or something i've never done I've actually done the music for a horror film so um i don't know maybe like halloween or something or i don't know somebody would be fun to do like a really cool like horror movie you know exactly. oh, that's I've, always wanted, I've never actually done a horror film like that and i've done a couple couple action things and then more you know drama things but um never had a chance to do do one of those so oh i i think it'd be quite challenging <laughs> yeah well, you could actually kind of go crazy with it. It'd be kind of fun, actually. There'd be a lot of you know interesting stuff with it. Oh man, that's awesome! Um, you've also done some voice acting. Can you tell us about that? Some voice acting. Yeah, didn't you do the voice for like Daddy and was it Daddy and Son and uh, a computer video game, the movies? Oh my god! Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, well, that was <laughs> that was. That was one thing that someone just asked me to do once. Um, yeah, I was to do this was that video game. Yeah, but um, that's the only thing I think I can remember that I've done as far as voiceover stuff. But um, yeah, yeah, I'm glad you reminded me. I had forgotten. I had totally forgotten about that. <laughs> Don't worry <laughs> about it. I forgot about yesterday already. <laughs> oh man! If you're gonna get your fade on, you got to get your fade on in style. And that's why I use Ghost Town Palmade. Ghost Town Palmade is the number one badass palmade, and I practice what I preach. When I leave this house, if I'm not wearing a hat, if I'm not wearing a lid, I'm wearing Ghost Town Palmade in my hair. This stuff is amazing. It smells good, it looks good, and it feels good. Ghost Town Palmade, badass palmade. And let me tell you one thing, it comes in a lid. That's pretty badass. This whole world is so nerfed up these days. Everything is plastic and pink, but not Ghost Town Palmade. This stuff is a man's palmade, and it is hardcore. It's so hardcore, it's from Oakland, California. Oakland, California. That's right. Ghost Town Palmade. Get your fade on in style. Proper. 
You're completely fearless. You, you perform on stage, in front of the camera, voice acting. For you, which is the most difficult? Um, well, I mean, I, I, you know, I, music is what I love the most. So I, I love playing, you know. It's, um, um, so I, for me, the most fun thing is to get up and stay on, on stage and play, you know, with other musicians. And um, I don't know. I mean, acting was never something I was super, you know, in, I wasn't really bitten by the acting bug. Let's just say I was. I was. I was interested. I've always loved cinema. You know, and I grew up watching a lot of films. And um, and uh, I think if I had tried to go into the film business, I would have, you know, tried to be a director. I think because I was really more interested in the whole sort of overall process of, of, of filmmaking. And 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 so I think of directing would probably would have I would have been most natural at. But um, so yeah, I mean, acting and acting probably in front of the camera is probably. The, the most hard <laughs> <laughs> yeah i can imagine um <clears throat> you've toured all over the world and um oh, actually we have a lot of bands that come on our show and i always ask them this question because um a lot of musicians listen to the show all over the world and for you what are some touring or travel tips for bands that are traveling all over the world or are going on their first tour what is something that you could say that would help them um, well, that's a good question. I think, uh, I don't know, you know, it's, it's, that's the hard part of, of, of music, you know, I mean, that's the work actually, really. I mean, when you get up on stage and you're playing and, and, um, you know, when you're, and you're making music, that's, that's, that's the, that's the fun part, you know, that we always say like the, what the work, the work part is actually doing all the traveling really. So that's the least fun part. But, um, I mean, it's great when you get to go to a place and stay for a few days, you know, but a lot of times you're, you're kind of in and out, you, you arrive in a city and in the morning or then after the early afternoon, and then you go to sound check and then, you know, maybe get a chance to go to the hotel for a few minutes or like an hour or two. And then you go back and, um, you know, do sound check and, and then do the concert and then maybe have dinner and then go to bed and then wake up in the morning and leave and go somewhere else. So it's, um, that's kind of the, the, the hard work so um you know i think just keep yourself healthy really <laughs> you can drink a lot you can of get coffee. run you can get run down pretty fast sometimes after doing it <clears throat> for weeks and months on end you know yeah that's true cool man and um oh another one question uh, my final question about music um you worked with joni mitchell how was did, that yeah. she is incredible uh, well, I was fortunate enough to on my on my first album. It was it was produced by uh, Larry Klein, who uh, used to be married to Joni, and um, um, they had worked together, and and they still work together. So um, they still have like a working relationship, and and he's produced a bunch of her, a few of her albums, and and played with her for over the years. But uh, so he was producing my first record from there to here, and. Um, and I wanted to do the song Trouble Man by Marvin Gaye. And uh, originally I was thinking of just doing it as an instrumental version. And um, so I guess unbeknownst to me, Joni was a big, is a big um, fan of Marvin Gaye. So Larry Klein, Larry had mentioned it to her that I was doing the track and wanted to know if she would be interested to sing on it. And so she was interested. And so I was, I you know jumped at the chance to get, a, to get her to work with her. Oh, that's incredible. That's awesome. That, that's such a great song, Trouble Man. Oh, man, that's great. I, I'm really glad that you guys did that. When I heard that song, I was just like, whoa, I was floored. 
She's got such yeah, an amazing she did a voice. Yeah, great job with it. And then, uh, yeah, it was, it was it was fun. It was fun to, to work with her on that. And uh, yeah, I mean, she's such a, she's an amazing musician, amazing singer, and amazing all around musician. Really. Definitely, definitely. Um, okay, can I ask you a few questions about your dad? Is that cool? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Awesome. Um, Kyle, how old were you when you first saw Dirty Harry? The first when one. When I first saw Dirty Harry, well, I was on the set when he was making it for a few days. When with my, my mom and I were visiting with him, so I, I have very vague remem- memories of that. But um, I'm trying to remember when I actually first saw it. Uh, probably, probably a couple of years after it came out. I don't think I saw it right when it came out, but. Maybe maybe around seventy three or something like that. Maybe nineteen seventy three. I was maybe um, I don't know seven, <laughs> something like that. After you saw that movie, did you eat all your vegetables and keep your room completely spotless? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I you know I I I liked vegetables actually, <laughs> so I didn't have any problem with that. But um, I don't know about keeping my room spotless, but. Uh, my dad's not exactly the who he, you know who you see on the screen. You know, I mean, there's definitely aspects of his of his personality and in some in the characters that he plays. You know, but um, he's definitely not that you know stern <laughs> as he is as, as that character. <laughs> oh my god, I can imagine. <laughs> Listen, Kyle, I have two hands and ten fingers. Clean your room, kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he's not. He's not quite. He's not quite that harsh. But, um, but uh, yeah, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> oh man, what what movie do you like the most uh, that your dad has either directed or acted in? Um, I think one of my all my my favorites is the Outlaw Josie Wales. It's oh. always been one of my favorites. Um, actually, which he directed and starred in. But uh, that's kind of a kind of a, has a special place in my heart. That movie, I, I've I've always thought it was really well directed and uh, and kind of underrated. But um, it's uh, but it's it's one of my favorites. I think my one of my favorite westerns for sure that he did. One of my favorite films. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a classic. Um, he's retired now, right? He just uh, no. He just finished a film. Just direct. He just directed a film called Richard Jewell, which is just I think came out here. I don't know if it's out in Japan yet, but um, um, it just came out. Uh, I think like like um, just last month. So um, no, he's still directing. He just just he's still working. So. Oh okay. I, I heard that he retired. Okay. Well then, good. I think he's probably <laughs> retired more or less from acting, maybe, but. Um, he uh, he's still directing though. He did. I mean, actually, he did the Mule a couple a year or two a couple of years ago, which is mm-hmm. another film that he he acted in. But I don't know how much he'll be acting anymore. But he's um, he's still still directing, still 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 working away at it. That's awesome. That's congratulations to him. That's fantastic to hear. His movies are amazing. Um, yeah, my favorite is The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. You can't top that, especially like the, the score to that movie is absolutely spectacular. I mean, the Ramones, the band the Ramones, they used to use the beginning of that every time they performed. Actually, I don't yeah. think they had the copyright to that, so uh, maybe I shouldn't say that out loud. <laughs> Yeah, no, I I seen I think I remember that. Yeah, they were. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, he's actually Ennio Morricone is one of my favorites. He's he's a, he did the score for all three of those the 
the Italian westerns that he did. So, um, um, yeah, that's it's definitely one of my favorites as well. It's, it's, it's definitely a classic. It's just a good one. So, and okay. a, an amazing score, like you said. Awesome, awesome. And what do you want to do when you come to Japan when you're not performing? You're going to be at the Blue Note from February 12th, 13th, and 14th, three gigs at night in a row. But during the day, what do you plan to do? <laughs> Um, I don't know. I sometimes I go to, like you said, to, to record stores. I like to go check out music and, um, you know, go, I just go check out, wander around the city. I go, I go for lunch at a couple of places, um, that I like to, that are some of my favorite, my favorite places to go, to go to. And, uh, um, yeah, just kind of just, just check, go just visit some of my favorite haunts in the city. Really. Oh, that's awesome. Well, if you want food, I've got two recommendations. You've got Soul Food House in Azubu Juban, which is absolutely spectacular American soul food. It's kind of like comfort oh, cool. food. It's a great restaurant. They have live music. It's it's really, really cool, really chill. But there's also like Harry's Sandwich Company in Harajuku. They play great music and it's got the San Francisco vibe and uh, their sandwiches are absolutely killer. And their drinks are strong, so be careful. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, good. Well, yeah, I'm always open to suggestions. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'll definitely, I'll definitely go for some sushi at some point and, uh, and uh, some ramen and stuff like that. So oh, all udon, but um, but yeah, no, I'll uh, maybe I'll check those out. Definitely, definitely, man. Well, Kyle, I, I gotta say, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, once again, your shows are at the Blue Note on February twelfth. 13th and 14th we are all very much looking forward to seeing you there um faders everybody out there please get your tickets now they're definitely going to sell out it's i mean hopefully you can get in (laughs) it's going to be an amazing show we're all looking forward to seeing you there yeah i'm looking forward to coming back thank you thank you thanks for having me on the show Yo, Faders, thank you very much for tuning in to this very special episode of Got Faded Japan. It was an honor to finally have a conversation with Kyle Eastwood. I've been a fan of his work for a long time, and um, just being able to uh, sit down and have a chit-chat with him was, oh, amazing. It's It was great. And um, if you're living in Asia, I don't care where in Asia, if you're living in India, Myanmar, Korea, of course, China and Japan, come to his shows. The guy is spectacular. His band is fantastic. And um, yeah, it will be life-changing. When he saw jazz, when he was a kid, it changed his life. If you see him, it's going to change your life. So make sure you guys get your asses to his performances. <laughs> and I'm going to have some links in the show notes in the bottom. Go down there, click on there, and you can get uh, merch, IECDs, records, t-shirts, whatever. And you can also get... Um, Uh, tour dates for future shows. Thank you very much for tuning into this episode. Faders, you know what to do. Go to iTunes and give us a five-star review and write something groovy about the show. It really does help us out. It it really does. And it only takes you a few seconds to do that. So please do that. It keeps us number one. So thank you so much for helping us out. And um, catch you next week. Peace. Ladies and gentlemen, 2020 Vision, an evening of Tokyo's hottest underground bands, the Beat Jackers, Negative Zero, Dog, Space and Diablos, Pedestrianism, and myself, Adam Three, and Godfaded's own Johnny, aka The Spill Inc., exhibiting artwork alongside a full lineup of talented artists. The entrance is free, so write this down, but better yet, don't forget, Saturday, 
January 25th, 2020 at Gamuso Asagaya, Tokyo, Japan. Goddamn shit sucking vampire. Well, you wait till mom finds out, buddy. I've got a government job to abuse and a lonely wife to fuck. As far back as I could remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. How the pressure! I can't take it! I can't take it! I can't stand to it! Are you sure I should do this, man? We're going freaking! Your move, creep. Man, I will never forgive your ass for this shit. This is some fucked up repugnant shit. Ah, fuck it, dude. Let's go bold.